Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Looking this morning at joy, maintaining God's joy in our lives. And if you want to turn to Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. I'm reading from the NIV. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There are many things in life that try to seek out and rob us of our joy. Circumstances that come along can shake our faith. People can discourage us. And things can distract us from all the things that God wants us to enjoy. He wants us to experience abundant, overflowing joy. And that actually involves a choice by us. Consider the world today. If you turn on your TV, most of the sitcoms are around making fun of people. There's crude situations, stories in the newspaper, bad news sells, good news doesn't. Even in the weather report, there's an 80% chance of sunshine, but no, they say 20% chance of rain. And I think one of the great misunderstandings of the church can be that Christians are meant to be happy all the time. If you're depressed, you don't tell anyone in church because you feel that's not a good witness. You go to work, you put on a happy face because it's not a good witness. Non-Christians, if a Christian is down. But scripture doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't say, as the song says, don't worry, be happy. Scripture says, don't worry, rejoice. And there's a world of difference between the two. Joy isn't like pie in the sky, comes and goes, depending on your circumstances. It's a matter of attitude that we get from God's spirit dwelling within us. We have a confidence that God is at work. A confidence that God is in full control in the midst of our circumstances. So how do we maintain that joy? God's joy in our lives. The Greek word for happiness actually refers to the freedom that the rich have from the normal cares and worries of this world. So it's actually used to mean good fortune, having money, all the circumstances that go to make you happy. If I'm happy, it's because things are going well for me. I've got no crises, I've got money in the bank, I've got a roof over my head, I'm happy. But when those things start to change, you don't stay happy. Imagine a Christian whose partner, for whatever reason, decides to leave. They end up divorced. 
Suddenly they have no home, no money. The person they love may move in with someone else. They wouldn't be what we would call happy. And anyone who came along and told them they should be happy would probably get a loving kick in the teeth. <laughs> there once lived a man who became a Christian as an adult. And he left the security of his career to actually follow Christ. He was persecuted, misunderstood by his friends, he was maligned by his enemies, but he pressed on joyfully to follow Christ. This man was a brilliant scholar, an eloquent public speaker, a fearless lawyer, and an excellent theologian. Once he boasted of his attainments, but later he wrote, the very credentials people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else that I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought that were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ as my Lord and Master, Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. That was Paul. Philippians 3.8 If anyone else had reason to despair, then Paul did. Because his circumstances were really against him. The letter that I read out at the beginning is written by Paul in prison. His circumstances wouldn't lead him to be happy, but he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Joy in Hebrew means to leap and spin around with pleasure. Uh, David danced for joy and got into trouble with his wife because he'd stripped off to his undergarments. That's joy, leaping around, spinning around for pleasure. Happiness is the feeling you get when everything's going smoothly, but joy is what God gives you in the midst of trouble, when, as Paul said, you put that trouble into God's hands. The opposite of happiness is sadness. The opposite of joy is fear. Both joy and happiness have no fear. Happiness has no fear because nothing is wrong and everything's on course. Joy has no fear because we're trusting God, whatever the circumstances. Knowing that God's purpose will stand and that God's purpose is greater than our circumstances. So we have happiness because of our situation. We have joy in spite of our situation. Joy is not about getting rid of problems. It's about getting rid of fear. So Paul's in prison. He's writing to the Philippians. He will die soon. And things aren't going to get any better for the church in Philippi either. Persecutions of Christians under Emperor Nero are about to begin. Christians will be torn apart by wild animals in the arena. Christians will be covered in tar, a set ablaze to light the emperor's garden. 
Paul's not telling them to be happy, but he's telling them to rejoice. Not to fear. It's not going to be an easy road. God's not necessarily going to miraculously intervene and save them from everything. Christians with strong faith are going to be put to death. But they are not to be anxious. Paul writes, do not be anxious. God is at work for the salvation of the whole world. He can use individuals' pain, individual suffering, and even their death to actually save others. Hear this distinction I'm trying to make between happiness and joy. Because it starts to light up one of the areas that troubles a lot of people, Christians included. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen? How come good Christian people have terrible lives? How can God be good in the face of Rwanda, Kosovo, 9-11? Where is he in all of that? God's working his purpose out, as the old hymn says. And we do not necessarily see God's ways and God's thoughts. But we have the confidence that he is working his purpose out through everything that happens in this world to us. Some people think if their faith is strong enough, it will overcome everything. And uh, people can actually add to people's misery by saying that they haven't got enough faith. If they just had more faith, then everything would get sorted. And Anne Robertson, who's an American Methodist preacher, speaks of a woman whose baby had died of a heart problem. Someone claiming to be a Christian came to her and told her that if she'd had more faith, her baby would not have died. Paul says rejoice and acknowledges that Christians are going to have problems. Otherwise he wouldn't say don't be anxious. People will get diseases and die, no matter how many prayers are said for their healing. Because we do not know God's plan. Promising young Christians may be gunned down by violence, crucified. Again, we do not know God's whole plan. But in the midst of it all, we rejoice because God is in control. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we can't begin to develop joy without this spiritual life and being in touch with God. We can have happiness. We don't need spiritual development to have happiness. We need circumstances to be right. But we can't have joy. Because joy comes as we develop that complete trust in God, in his purposes, and a deep desire for God's will to be done in our lives, in our circumstances throughout the world. It's an attitude that's willing to suffer death. Jesus actually had joy on the cross. Hebrews 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
Now, I don't believe Jesus was happy on the cross. None of his recorded sayings say, don't worry, be happy. I'm fine, mum, don't worry. No, but he had joy. Joy is the knowledge that everything I do as a person and everything you do as a person has a purpose and will be part of the divine plan for the world. But that means we won't really truly know that deep joy until we really want God's will more than our own. And to know God's will and to come to want that We have to know and love God. The fruit of joy doesn't ripen in our lives overnight. It takes time and diligence and patience to produce grapes from a grapevine. Fruit doesn't suddenly appear. There's weather, there's bugs, poor soil, neglect, weeds to overcome. And the same in our journey to joy. Joy will start to grow. But we have weather, bugs, weeds to overcome in our lives. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to prune away what's not necessary and empower us to make those choices that lead to the growth of fruit and joy. In our lives, we need to be aware of the things that are going to steal our joy And we need to be aware of the things that can build up our joy. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatians about the fruit of spirit in chapter 5, before he wrote that passage, he actually said to them in chapter 4, what has happened to all your joy? He was aware that they weren't living that deep, joyful lives in God. So let's have a quick look at some of the things that actually can steal our joy that may be going on in our lives at the moment. Number one, unsatisfied expectations. Usually that comes from our thinking being based on when and then. When I get a job, when I get married, when I pay off the bills, when I've got a new car, then I will be happy. We have these expectations that when this happens, then things will work themselves out. The circumstances will sort themselves out. That's looking for happiness. It's not looking for joy. Spirit of discontentment can really, really sneak in and rob your joy in the day-to-day things that are happening. How often do we actually thank God that we have a roof over our heads, we have warmth, we have fresh water, we have food. We don't have to walk miles and miles to get water to sustain us. We can go to a shop and buy what we want. How often do we forget that when we're looking at the things we want and forget all that God has supplied to us? Paul says, again in Philippians, I know what it is to be in need And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, 
whether living in plenty or in want. He's learned the secret of being content. It's a secret. There's a mystery about it. He had to learn how to do it. Contentment doesn't come when we have everything we want, but only when we want everything we have. I'll say that again. Contentment doesn't come when we have everything we want, but it does come when we want everything we have. There's a faith and a confidence behind that in in God. But no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in, we have contentment with everything that we have at that time. So that's unsatisfied expectations in our lives. Second joy buster. It's a brilliant one, this one. It'll get you every time. Wallow in the pit of worry. What if this happens? What if that happens? You could call it worst-case scenario-itis. Spend all your time wrapped up in yourself, worrying about things, paralysed by fear, and you'll do nothing. You won't have joy because that worry is filling the space that's there for joy. And worrying lets that fear start in our lives. The fear that's the opposite of joy. Psychologists actually tell us that 90% of the things we worry about never happen. (laughs) So you're worrying and you're worrying and you're worrying and probably only 10%, that's a small amount of what you're worrying about is actually ever going to happen in your life. These anxieties can actually rob us of our joy. But in Proverbs 3, it says, Have no fear of sudden disaster. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord, the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. That's a fabulous promise in his word. Perhaps something to pin up and look at when you start worrying. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that's going to overtake the wicked because the Lord is your confidence and he will keep your foot from being snared. Third joy buster now. Unresolved conflict. Our joy can evaporate when we have conflict between ourselves and we allow it with another person to go on. Someone's offence against us, or perceived offence, can just occupy all our mental and emotional ability and we lose sight of God. There's nothing left over for God because that is distracting us from him all the time. There's conflict and it's not resolved and it's eating away at us. Hebrews 12 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Remember that love and God is love keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't hold against us any of the wrongs that we've done to him. 
And the parable teaches us that we do not hold wrongs against other people. We do not hold on to the wrong that's done to us in the face of all that God has forgiven us for. If you start itemizing other people's mess-ups, then the fruit of joy is going to be squashed. Again, Paul says in Philippians, it's a good book this, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and one in purpose. So we need to pursue peace with all people and seek that joy and unity, especially within our fellowship, but also in our dealings with people outside this fellowship. Final one that can steal your joy. Unconfessed sin. This probably chases more joy out of people's lives than any other. Because guilt can steal your joy away faster than anything else I know of. David understood this very well in Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no defeat, deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we keep silent about sin, when we don't confess it to God, or we don't confess it to others, God's hand is heavy upon us. Our strength is sapped as in the heat of summer. Our joy drains away. This psalm ends, after David has owned to his sin, with rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Rejoice in the Lord, all you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. He couldn't rejoice and experience God's joy until he confessed his sins. David writes again in Psalm 51, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Again, he's been through a rough time there before he writes Psalm 51. But he realizes that once God has cleansed him, and he's confessed his sins, joy comes back in. Just a pause for thought here. <clears throat> Do you have unsatisfied expectations? Have you got a spirit of discontent with your life? Determined to find that secret that Paul had. A secret of contentment. Begin to experience joy in the small things that you have. Confess your discontent to God because he will listen and he will hear and he will give you the joy in what you have now.
Are you worried? Are you worrying about something? In the passage I read, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and he will give you that peace that passes understanding. Are you involved in conflict with someone? Has it been resolved? If not, confess it to God and make plans to meet with that person face to face and be reconciled. Get back on that journey to joy. Maybe God's hand is heavy on you. Because there's some sin that you've not confessed, not repented of. Don't keep silent. David said when he kept silent, it was no good. Confess it to God and taste the joy that God brings again. That's four things that can steal our joy away. And we're all looking very miserable now. (laughs) So, the good news. Lost joy can be restored. David lost out spiritually with discontent, conflict, sin. His joy was a long-lost memory in Psalm 51. It's a very mournful psalm to start with. Yet at the end he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That joy can be restored. God honoured his prayer, and he will honour yours. Let's look at how we can build that joy back into our lives if it's got lost, if it's drained away, if there have been problems. God's joy. Billy Sunday, who was an early American evangelist, said, The trouble with many men is that they've got just enough religion to make them miserable. If there's not joy in religion, you've got a leak in your religion. And a lot of people see religion as laws, must not, must not, must not, shall not. We should have joy. We should have joy in God. People should see that difference in us. That whatever the circumstances there are, there's joy. Let's see how we can build some of them. First off, God's character. Recognize God as joyful. Listen to how God feels about you. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I'm going to read that again. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. You, 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 you. He will take delight in everybody. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. In the CEV version, this verse is paraphrased as, He celebrates and sings because of you. God is celebrating and singing because of you. He has joy. God is joyful. Sometimes if we have very little joy in our lives, perhaps we don't know God well enough. Because if you see a joyful God, a God singing over you, celebrating you, then we're going to be drawn to him. 
He's not aloof. He's not up there, as Cliff Richard would say, in a distance. I told you I'd get him in. <laughs> he's not waiting for us to mess up. He's rejoicing over us. He's there. He's with us day by day. He exalts over us in song. And if you can view God this way, that he takes that great pleasure in us, he's toiling over us. He's building us up. He's waiting patiently for the fruit of joy to ripen in our lives. That's exactly what Nehemiah discovered when he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We can have that same joy. God is joyous, rejoicing over us. And we can have that same joy as we draw near to him and realize he's not a God who's waiting for us to mess up because he's dealt with all our messes. He's there rejoicing over us. So that was the first thing. Recognize that God is joyful and we have his character within us. Second thing is to rehearse God's attributes in worship. Now rehearse is a strange word, but basically it means go over a list of items, tell or repeat something. So when we're worshipping God, we're going over what his attributes are. What he is, what he's done, what he will do. We find the joy that God has in us, his creation, and then we take that back to him as we sing of his qualities and his character in worship. And that joy then is flowing both ways. The Westminster Confession says, Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So, God's enjoying us, we're enjoying God. Psalm 66, shout with joy to God. All the earth, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Our collective worship on Sunday should be a finale. A great, joyous finale to all our individual private worship and prayer during the week. We spend time reading our Bible, memorizing scriptures, praying, worshiping God during the week. And then we come ready to worship God, ready to rejoice. We've got a great worship team. They actually plan times of worship to help us focus on God's holiness and on his awesomeness. And they want to lead us into joyful exuberance. They want our faces to break out in joy. And as we rehearse who God is by singing about his attributes, celebrating all that he is, then that fruit of joy is going to start blossoming in our lives. David in Psalm 28 couldn't help but break out into joy. He says, The Lord is my strength and shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to him in song. When did you last enjoy God in worship? Rather than just worship him or even worse, just sing. Does your joy show on your face as you worship? 
listen to these words from a Hillsong song. Is this an accurate reflection of how we worship? I give you praise for you deserve it. I give you praise for what you've done. I give you praise for you are able. I give you praise till I overcome. I give you praise when the sun is shining. I give you praise in the dark of night. I give you praise when the battle rages. I give you praise till it works out right. The shout of the king is among us. God lives here in our praises. The shout of the king is among us. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him in everything. So we rehearse, we sing, we share God's joy. The first two joy builders are vertical between us and God. Some more that are more horizontal dimension reaffirm your commitment to others. We need to live in community. We can't do it on our own. Romans 12 challenges us to rejoice with those who rejoice. If you're not in fellowship with other believers, then your joy is going to leak out. You're going to become cold. When contemplating whether or not it would be better to die and spend eternity with the Lord, Paul concludes it would benefit the church greatly if he hung around for a while. We're back to Philippians again. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. And that's the point. As I connect with you, you connect with me, our joy will overflow. We need each other. When we live in loving relationships with our brothers and sisters, we'll be more joyful, but we'll also help build up others' joy. If you're not at church, if you're not at small group, it's not necessarily affecting you, but it's maybe affecting the joy of the others in that group. Fourth thing, reignite your passion for evangelism. One of the best ways to build joy into your life is actually talking about Jesus to others. It builds you up and it actually gets the message across of the gospel. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And Luke 15, as those who went to Steve Hurd's first thing, hear about the rejoicing that takes place when the lost are found. When the lost sheep is recovered, the shepherd comes home, calls his friends and neighbours and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Not only do we experience again God's gift of grace and appreciate it in our own lives when we tell others, but also we get to see the inexpressible joy of those who experience the new birth. Come along, if you can, to these evangelism evenings once a month and reignite that passion to tell others. Fifth one, 
release all your problems to God. One of the hallmarks of Christian joy, you can experience joy even in times of sorrow and loss. Christian joy is the response to the presence of God himself. Happiness is the response to the absence of something undesirable. But joy is our response to the desirable presence of God. In Acts 16, the authorities beat Paul and Silas. They flogged them severely. They threw them into prison. They put them in an inner cell so they couldn't escape. And to top it all, they put them in the stocks just to make sure. Verse 25 says that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How many of us would be doing that in those circumstances? The word for praying here is not actually making requests, but actually the word used for praise or worship. So Paul and Silas were praising and worshipping God. Instead of asking God to get them out, they turned this situation into a response of worship. Matthew Henry, a Bible scholar from the 1700s, wrote in his diary after he'd been robbed, Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, and not I who robbed. The only way we can have an attitude like this is actually to release all our problems to God. Because he's in charge, we can have joy, no matter what happens. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and you will have the peace that passes all understanding. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4 In all our troubles, Paul writes, my joy knows no bounds. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. James challenges us to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kind. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. We have to take a conscious decision to look for the joy. We can't manufacture joy, but we can give our problems to the Lord by leaning on him with all we've got and have joy in knowing that he is in complete control. Final way to keep your joy, remain close to Jesus. The only way we can continue to have this joy growing as a fruit within our lives is to be obedient to Christ and submit to the Spirit on a daily basis. To actually find joy, we need to stop looking for it and go looking for the one who is joy itself, Jesus. John 15 Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy 
may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So if we want the kind of joy that's complete, lacking nothing, we must remain close to Jesus. Apart from him, we will bear no fruit. Jesus said in John again, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The Bible Knowledge Commentary states, Joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which was promised to all those who abide in Christ and obey his commandments. It does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. So to conclude, what things are keeping you from joy this morning? What things are you anxious about? What things are you trying to control? How much of your life are you willing to give over to God to use? How close could you come to what Job said? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. As we step closer and closer to that sort of faith, our fears dissolve, our joy rises. When we don't truly care whether we live or die, whether we suffer or are comfortable, as long as God's will is being done, then joy will enter our souls. Joy is one of the biggest challenges of our Christian lives. Because we do need to be willing to give up everything to embrace it. Three application steps. Watch out for the joy busters. They can crash into your life like a tidal wave at any time. Learn the secret of contentment. Take your worries to God. Keep short accounts with people and God. Get into the habit of confessing regularly to any sins. Second, we may want to try this this week, or we can try it in a moment when we worship. Find a joy builder that you need to work on. Recognize God as joyful. Rehearse his attributes in worship. Reaffirm our commitment to others. Reignite that passion for evangelism, for telling others. Release all your problems to the Lord. Remain close to Jesus. You can work on all of those or just one of those that you feel. Ask God what he wants you to work on. Number three, try reading the book of Philippians. It's very short, it's only four chapters. Try reading it every day for a week and underline in there how many times the word joy or rejoice is used. Remember him, Paul's in prison when he's writing this. And as you read it, Ask God to get that fruit ripening in your lives. 
In closing, let's allow Romans 14, 17 to penetrate our lives. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 